Lord, we just come before you with the, just seeking your word and seeking your, your presence and the truth that you have for us. So we just ask that you fill this world, word in our hearts. Let it come and bear fruit, Father, and just let them hear you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been a little bit of a gap here since the last time I preached and recorded a sermon, but I wanted to share something with you guys, and a lot's happened um, in, in the past few weeks of just ministry opportunities that I'm seeing the Lord really just working in my life and, and, and just in convicting me and growing me, and so, so it's been healthy for me to do this, and so I'm, like I had said, I don't know if I had recorded it or not, but I've been attending a church, a church family, and, and a lot of healing has happened there in, in my view of the church and how I interact with the church. And the pastor is just, he's, he's going through um, Acts right now. And so what kind of started this sermon uh, was Acts 2, 40 through 47. And so I'll read this, and, and it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so as I was reading that, and I've, I've heard him say it, and I, I just was like, what is the church doing? And, and so I started asking these questions about the church, and I can tell you from healing that if I had given this, say, five years ago, it would have been a lot of pointing fingers and finding fault and being like, this is what the church has done wrong. And I'm probably sure that if you go through a couple of my sermons, there's a couple messages pointing those fingers. <laughs> but I am here now revising, maybe said some of those uh, <laughs> sermons, to, to do it right without a fault-finding mission or pointing fingers and blame. And so there were a couple... Just questions that I had, you know, I said uh, the, the, a few of the questions are what is the church doing right? And I wanted to explore that. I wanted to then explore what is the church doing wrong or needing work on? And, and, and then, you know, the church I go to has a smaller, smaller congregation and you don't necessarily see a whole lot of new faces and, it's and there's people there that have been been there for 40 years, have grown up in the church, and they're 60 now, like, just so many people, and for me, it's hard to wrap my head around being in that place, so in a place so long, 
especially with the military background and moving. So to, so to be so rooted into a place, I look at it and go, all right, Lord, what? You know, what can we do? And, and the, the, the nice thing is, is that Tony also goes to a larger church and I'm able to go and visit him. And so I have the, the differing spectrums. I have the, the church that is rather large. I don't know if I'd classify it as mega, but I would definitely classify it as extremely large with an extremely large budget. And then I have a small church with a small budget. And so I'm able to look at these without judgment, finally, and just kind of compare and say, okay, there are benefits and pluses and minuses to each, pros and cons, what, what are these? And so as I was kind of meeting, I met with Jeff, the pastor of the church, and was asking him, and just telling him, like, hey, this is my mission. I want to improve the church. And so these are the questions that I'm asking and I'm searching. And he happened to give me an article, which I found, it, it's fairly short, uh, article, but it was published September 6, 2023, uh, by Gavin Adams, and it's, it's titled, Are Echo Chambers Killing Trust? Addressing the Trust Crisis in Today's Church. And so the, the article is basically like talking about the decline of trust in the Lord, trust in the church, and why, you know, how do we restore the confidence in the church? And he made some good points and, and interesting points. But one of the things he pointed out is just the isolationism and the insulation of the church itself. Like how often do you have mixes in a church? Right? Like, a predominantly white church doesn't have that big a black population. Black people tend to go to African black churches. Chinese Koreans tend to go to Korean churches. Democrats tend to find a democratic style church. Republicans tend to find a Republican style church. There's no intermingling of these. They're supposed to be one body, yet we are segregating ourselves. We're segregating ourselves. And so this led me to ask those questions. What is the church doing right? Because obviously by me saying this, you're like, oh yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, when, if you looked around your church, when was the last time you saw a black person? You know, not that these black people are afraid of, of white people. It's just they're choosing to go and worship in a certain area, you know, and then it's not even that we, you know, different denominations. So you can have a Roman Catholic, predominantly white church, and you can have a Roman Catholic, predominantly black, predominantly Korean, yada, yada, yada. So we segregate ourselves and splinter the church so much. And it's a no wonder that the church and trust in the church and, and church growth is declining. So all that led to this culmination and these questions of what is the church doing right? And, because, and I'm asking these questions because I am now a part of this church. The Lord has called me to go be a part of this church, so I am now inserting myself into this church and their problems and their failures 
and their successes are my failures and successes as well. And so I don't like to fail, especially spiritually. Uh, so I am going to go after it and see what is it that I can do. Is there something that I, Tyler, can do and change and can do and change and help just facilitate growth and confidence and trust and life back, to, back into this service. So I want to start with something positive. And so let's look at pretty quickly, what is the church doing right? You know, I always, <laughs> so we'll turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so I've always told, you know, if you have to give news or something, you, you sandwich bad news in between good news. You give good news and what's going well, then you give the bad news, then you give good news again. So there, there's no bad taste and it softens the blow. So let's soften the blow of what the church is needing work on by talking about what the church is doing well. And so if you go to Matthew 18, 28, we're all pretty familiar with this verse these verses, 18 says, I'll start in 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So, one thing the church does really well, it spreads the gospel. It does. It spreads the gospel, which is, it teaches them to observe Christ's commandments. I mean, I was just at the large church, and they were just celebrating in front of the entire church, sending missionaries out. Sending a missionary out to... to Go and be a part of a culture and cultivate a Christ-like culture in, 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 another, in another land. And so, you know, I've, I've been to other churches and our church that we attend has a missionary billboard, you know, and it has pictures, it has a giant map and the pictures and there's a pin. Like, these, this is a family, this is what they're doing, da, 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 da. So we do a great job of spreading the gospel far and wide. Colossians 3.14 So Colossians 3.14 says this, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The church, and nobody can deny, the church demonstrates love incredibly. And you could go, well, no, 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 wait. And I said, just, just hold on a second. I'm getting to the bad part. We're talking about the good right now. The good, they demonstrate love. How many times in your life have you seen somebody have a hardship and all of a sudden there's a meal train and they're not going to eat for a month, have to cook anything for a month? How many times, you know, has a tree fallen on somebody or a yard needs fixed or People are hurt or whatever, and yard work gets done, housework gets done. People, I, I mean, there's people in the church that just bend over backwards to help and show love and 
fix things. I don't know if I would necessarily see that in the real world. If they're your friends, that's a different matter. But is, is some stranger going to come into your house and be like, I heard that you need this. Let me fix it for you. No. But in the church, those people come and, and will do it out of the goodness of their heart. I mean, have, you know, for my mom. She loves to garden, but when she was going through cancer treatments, the church organized a group to come and weed her whole property. You know, that's a large property, and they came and weeded it. The church demonstrates love. It does. So you ha I have to give them kudos. I have to give the church kudos. And then in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We don't forsake the assembling. <laughs> you can say it's religious. You can say it's habit. That's fine. But the church doesn't cease assembling. And again, we're not pointing out the faults. We're not going to point out that they beat you over the head and guilt you into coming. <laughs> We're not doing that right now. But I will segue into that. So all those things, the church does well. You can't deny it. And, and it's necessary. But when I look at my church and I look at other churches, I go, is this really a living church? It has living people, it has movement, and sure, it has activities and everything. But is this like that church in Acts 2, 40 through 47? And so I'll read that again because it's important. And this is why it led me to really searching. And, and I'll, in verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I asked the pastor, I said, not, not to point fingers or judge or anything, but strictly out of fact finding, when was the last time somebody came up to you and said, I'm... I, I accepted Christ today. The Lord adds numbers daily. So I have to think, if you're not growing, are you either stagnant or are you dead? And so a living church is just that. I'm not expecting thousands. But let's be honest. There, that culture back then is no different than the culture now. 
They needed Christ. They needed repentance. They needed forgiveness. They needed deliverance from sin. They need God. There is no difference from that culture to now. And so there is no reason that you can't have 3,000 saved today. That you can't have added daily those that were saved to your congregation. And so if that's not happening, I mean, you're talking in 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. The church does that. They do give and they do help, but do they give out of their surplus? Do they give enough to make it hurt to continue to trust on the Lord? I don't know. <laughs> That's not for me to judge, and I'm not judging, but I'm asking those questions because these are important things we need to ask. That is our church, is the church we're attending alive or is it dead? And so I'm going to say, what is the church needing work? And I'm going to have you turn to Romans 12, 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so I would like to postulate, to suggest that we have forgotten the grace that has been given to us. You know, when you have been rooted in a place for so long, there, the, the, the possibility of becoming stagnant, of becoming, of not growing, is huge. And I think a lot of the church, due to all the hearing and all the lessons and all the sermons they've heard and all the church Sundays they've attended, have forgotten the grace that they received when they first accepted Christ. And it's that grace has not diminished one iota for the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years that you've been saved. The amount of grace I need today is no different than the amount of grace that I needed the day I finally accepted Christ as my Savior. I need it every day. And so I think we forget that. I will definitely say 
that we need work in acknowledging the gifts and, and practicing them. We have no problem talking about God and what an awesome God he is. We have no problems praising Jesus and the things he has done. But where is the Holy Spirit in it? Where is the Holy Spirit given place in church? You know, unfortunately, churches are not at the mercy of God. They're at the mercy of the clock. You know, they have multiple services. You only have a certain amount window to be able to minister or talk or, or grow before you're ushered out so the next service can sit down and receive the same meshes, same, same worship to be hustled out again so that the church then can be cleaned and ready for the next time. So where is, where, where is authority? Where is the place given for the Holy Spirit? And that's a whole other sermon of understanding the Holy Spirit and, and the fear of the Holy Spirit and that. But the gifts, prophesying, ministering, teaching, exhorting, giving, lead, you know, leading, mercy, all these are gifts, fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're not giving place to the Holy Spirit, that fruit isn't going to manifest itself in the body. So we need to remember the grace that we have given and we need to give place, get better at giving place to the Holy Spirit. Now, I will say, if you go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Now, just like you and I, I have been to, I've been to the quote-unquote charismatic churches, and I have seen the gifts being abused. I have seen the gifts beat people over the head for lack thereof. You know, oh, you can't speak in tongues. You can't even be a pastor. All these things. But I'll say 1 Corinthians 14.26 How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all these things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three, or at the most three, each in turn let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Basically, you don't have an interpreter. Shut up. Sit down and shut up. Listen and wait for the Lord to give you the order. If he impresses it upon you strongly, you have the choice to give that word or not. You don't have the right or the authority to stand up and just blah, 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 blah. 
You don't. There has to be order. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. All things go together in their time. You know, I've been part of services where the whole, where I, quote unquote, the Holy Spirit's broken out. But it didn't necessarily, didn't necessarily uh, disturb my spirit, but it didn't necessarily galvanize me. It caused a little bit of uncertainty and confusion. And, and, you know, you can argue, well, maybe that was new to you. Yes, okay, I will give you that. But it's not, God's not, he's order. And when you look at it, can you look at it and say, not from a human perspective, say, this is an order. No, but can you look through the eyes that God has given you, listening to the Holy Spirit saying, is this order? You know, not to say that I'm perfect, but when I had a ministry opportunity, I asked the person if I can minister to them. Then I asked the leader, leader, is this okay? And I had a leading. I was going to sob my eyes out in front of a group, a Bible study. But I had to ask because that's what the Lord told me. Does somebody need prayer? And I asked and they said, yes. I said, can I pray for you? They said, yes. I went to the leader and I said, leader, can I pray for this person? Is that allowed? And he said, please. That's order. If he said no, guess what? I sit my butt down and I wait until I'm told. That's order. That's when the gifts are used appropriately. If, and, and, and so from that, from me asking, it, it opens the door for the leader to recognize the Holy Spirit moving. It doesn't disturb everybody else in that. And, and it actually led to good questions from the group asking the leader, the pastor, about it. How is that the gifts being used? What, what is that type of gift? You know, but if I had just stood up as he's talking and just been like, somebody needs prayer. Who needs prayer? And even if she had, the person had said, me, I need prayer. And I just went up, I'm disrupting and causing confusion and, and destroying any witness. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit edifies the body by asking, by creating questions, by challenging, and by healing. So we need work in order. And then you go to Colossians, back to Colossians 3 again. And so I had read 14 saying that above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, that the church does demonstrate love well. But if you look at 12 and 13, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The church needs to needs work in demonstrating Christ consistently. 
we need to do better. I'm, I'm part of this. I'm not pointing fingers. If anything, I'm pointing them at me. I need to be better about putting on tender mercies, showing kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. We need to be better at demonstrating Christ consistently. And so with all these things, with all this bad, we go, it should be no reason that we ask this question, well, why is the church declining? If the main stuff that we're supposed to be doing, if we're leaving out part of the Trinity, no wonder, the, the helper, literally the helper, Jesus says, peace out, guys, I'm going to prepare a way for you, but hey, I'm giving you another one, and he's going to be with you omnipresent with you and we're leaving that guy out no kidding that we're in a declining church that there's no trust in the church that there's segregation in the church no kidding and so I asked the question why Lord why is the church declining you know, and you can point, right? I just did pointed to some of the things, you know, forgetting the grace that's given, all this, right? But as, as I was seeking this and I'm going and I'm like, okay, that's, that's a problem, Lord. That's a, we need to fix that. We need to fix that. We need to fix that. It all boils down to one thing. One thing that we need to fix. Simple answer, right? It's nice. One thing. It's all we got to do is fix one thing, and, and the church will be alive again. The reason we have a declining church is because we have a heart issue. It's a heart issue at the root of every problem, everything we need to fix, everything that needs work in the church. The root of it is a heart issue. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Issues of life. Not life, not springs out of it life. The issues of life. So no kidding that the root of problems of the church is a heart issue and out of the heart comes all the issues of life. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the next one is, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doing. I, the Lord, search the heart. It's a heart problem. So, 
what are the causes of this heart problem? We're not seeking God first. And I'm, and I'm talking the church-wide, too. Right? This is, is, is the church as a whole, not even just individually. I mean, it boils down to the individual and me sitting in the pew and my heart issue and how my heart issue poisons and affects the rest of the body. Because, I mean, if you heard in those verses, in all bunch of these verses, we are one body. The church is one body. Many parts, one body. One body, one body, one body. So when my cancer, my cancerous heart of the issues that are springing forth out of my heart can poison the rest of the body, affects the rest of the body. And so if I seek numbers, if I seek fame, if I seek money, all these things, if the church is seeking that, if I am seeking that, that's a cause. It's a cause. You know, we, obviously it's idolatry and, and all that stuff, but like, when we try to focus on something that isn't God, we lose our way. And it, and it turns our heart. So if you want to turn to Psalm 119, and you go to verses 10 and 11. Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11, it says this. I'll start in verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We no longer guard our hearts. We are told to daily put on the breastplate of righteousness. So not only does the breastplate protect us from outside arrows, from outside corruption, but it keeps our heart covered by God's righteousness, not my own righteousness. I have to put on this armor, which means it's not part of me. I have to physically take hold of it and put it on me. It means it's not organically a part of me. I don't have righteousness. If I had it, I wouldn't have to put it on. I have to put it on. So it's not mine, which means it's got to be God's, which means it's got to protect me and be for what's best for me. But we have forgotten, I have forgotten to continuously guard my heart in the good times, in the bad times, in the okay times. And to gird around it the God's righteousness. Lots of causes and effects, but I have a solution. Don't you worry. I have a solution. I have a solution to fix the heart problem. And it starts in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. 
Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So as I read that, right, it's talking about us not being separate. We're not segregated. We aren't strangers and we aren't foreigners. We are fellow citizens. So why are we segregating ourselves? A kingdom divided can't stand. So why are we segregating ourselves? The easy answer is because we, we want to hear what we want to hear. We want to raise up leaders to tell us what we want to hear, not what we don't want to hear. But here we are, it's, you know, it's talking about building, 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 putting these blocks together. But what the Lord showed me and the word that jumped out to me when I first read this is it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It grows, which means it's a living thing. And as I read it, I just saw vines and roots and shoots from a living plant, from each individual intertwining. And so when you think about a building, it's individual blocks. And so it's segregated, right? Like it's, it's segmented. I can look at this wall right here and I can tell you where each and every block is. And it's separate. Sure, it's a part of a whole, but each and every one is, is distinctly separate. God wants us to grow together. He says we were grafted in. Well, you can't tell, you shouldn't be able to tell where the graft is. And so we're supposed to intertwine, right? And Jesus Christ, and I'll, here we go, John 15, 1 through 8. Says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. How do we fix this? You regrow the church by replanting the vine in the church. Bring back Jesus. Bring back the Holy Spirit. Bring it all back. Grow it. Water it. That's what you do. Understand that it's the vine that, that you don't bear 
squat. I can't do anything apart from the vine. I want to bear fruit. I need to be in Jesus. Bring Jesus back to the church. Stop bringing your beliefs, your political crap, the issues that you are springing from your heart. Stop it. Stop bringing that crap to the church. Replant Jesus at the altar. Replant Jesus. You want to see life again? Replant Jesus. And you go, that's a tall order, Tyler. That's a tall order. And I go, baloney. Because this is what I want you to leave with. Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Flesh and heart will fail. I'm telling you this whole week, my flesh failed. My heart failed. When I looked at what was before me, my flesh and my heart failed. But it's not me who got through. It's not my wife's wonderful back rubs that got me through. It's the strength of Jesus, the strength of God, and that relying on Him got me here. I need to make sure that I am cultivating that, that vine in my life, in my heart, that I'm planting Jesus so deep in my heart so deep in my heart that it's inseparable from me. That his righteousness flourishes from my, my heart and from every action I do. It's a heart issue. So if you haven't planted the vine in your heart, what are you doing? Why are you bothering at church? Why are you bothering going to church? If you don't want that vine, if you don't want to see that vine grow in your church, why are you going there? Because then you're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. And the Lord on Sunday made very clear that I am part of the problem and that he had to correct me for, in order for me to do ministry. Because I was, I was, I was fluctuating. Is this, is this the sermon you want me to give? And he goes, yeah, because your heart's an issue. You're correctable, Tyler, but your heart is still an issue. And so I had to go back to the drawing board and realize that I am part of the issue. So the question to how do we grow a better church is replant the vine. Replant that vine in your heart and cultivate it, nurture it, and just watch it bear fruit.
So Lord, we just thank you for your word that is true and that if we plant ourselves in you, that we should bear fruit. So Lord, I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you tear out the dead ground, you, you sow new soil into my heart and you just plant the roots deep, so deep into me that they just, they can't help but grow and succeed. So Lord, just let me find you and let me bear the fruits of the Spirit. Let me bear fruit in every climate, in every season, Lord. And we just thank you and we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.